And we have a wonderful guest speaker this morning to bring God's word to us today. Uh, before becoming the president and CEO of Mount Hermon, he spent 30 years in pastoral ministry, and uh, he is a fellow Twin Laker, someone who I am very grateful to also call a friend. He's here with his lovely wife, Jane, who's sitting back there. Wave to us, Jane. Just there she is. They have four lovely kids, and it is just a privilege to have our very own Mike Romberger bringing God's Word to us this morning. Let's give him a warm TLC welcome. Well, good morning, everybody. It is really good to, to be here, and uh, thank you, Mark, so much. What Mark didn't mention is that he is on the board of directors at Mount Hermon, so he's a part of uh, wise guidance and counsel and spiritual oversight. Um, he can also fire me if he wanted to, so I want to say I love Mark Spurlock. He's a, <laughs> he's a great guy, truly a, a dear friend, and uh, we love being a part of this church. We're so grateful, Jane and I and our son Caleb. Uh, we have three other kids, but they live in different places, and um, I, I hope you know what a treasure this place is as a church. In fact, um, if you were here a few weeks ago, you heard it announced that Pastor Renee was named the Man of the Year for Santa Cruz County, which is incredible. Yeah. Now, I want you to think through that for a little bit. In Santa Cruz County, they chose a pastor of a local church to be the Man of the Year. And Renee was was very gracious in saying it wasn't just about him, it was about the staff, it was about the church as a whole and all the people. Um, but I am just so impressed uh, that they would do that, and that says so much about our pastor, and so grateful for him, and I know you are too. So uh, thank you, Lord, for Pastor Renee. And also, um, there might be one thing about Renee that you don't know, because he's very private about this area of his life, and I thought, you know, he's not here, so I thought it'd be time to open it up a little bit. But... Um, I don't know if you know this, but a little over a year ago, he became a grandfather, and so I thought I'd just show you a few pictures, because you've probably never seen. This is Freddie, and um, just because he keeps that very under wraps and very quiet, you know. I think I dream about Freddie, actually, but uh, anyway. <laughs> well, we are starting uh, a series here uh, for the Christmas season called, What Child Is This? What child is this? This Jesus that we, that we celebrate at the Christmas time. Who is he, really? You know, we live in, in a culture that has a lot of folklore and myths about who Jesus is. And so myself and some others this, this Christmas season will be bringing messages from God's word in regards to what child is this? Who is this, this Jesus that we, that we get to hear about and understand? And and, uh, you know, we get to hear a lot of messages at Christmas time about this year after year. And these are messages of internal importance. To fully understand the Christmas message, you really have to understand all sorts of things. Going back to the Old Testament, the fall of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, the, the, the problem of sin, the, the Old Testament sacrificial system, the, the Old Testament offices of prophet, priest, and king. It helps to understand Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. It's important to understand the second coming of Christ and the, and the judgment day. And in the middle of all of that is this event 
that we celebrate of Christmas, which has eternal implications, which oversees all of those things. In fact, it would, it would take libraries to hold all the books written of all the subjects I just mentioned. But today, in one sentence, in one line, we're going to see the truth that culminates all of those understandings and teachings. It was said by an angel to a man named Joseph when he told him this, that she, Mary, will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Yeah. Let's pray and just bring this time to the Lord and, and then we'll move on. Lord, Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we've had already this morning to worship you, to lift up your name, to thank you for who you are. Lord, at this time we ask that you would do what only you can do, that you would come and you would move in our life, that you would uh, comfort us, you would confront us, you would challenge us, you would care for us, you would encourage us, whatever, Lord, we need, that we would listen to you during this time as we're in your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn them to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament, the very first page, very first chapter, Matthew chapter 1. And before we camp on this one sentence that we read from verse 21 of Matthew 1, we're going to look first at what precedes it, and then we're going to jump over and see what comes after it, and then go back to how this one verse is so critical for us to understand. So when you get to Matthew chapter 1, right away you're hit with a genealogy. A genealogy is, is this person had that person, and that person you know, was born this person all the way down. Um, you have this genealogy that, that, that hits us right away. And some would say that this is about the most boring set of verses in all of the Bible. So let me try it out on you and see what you think, okay? I'm just going to do a few verses. Let's start at verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, Je Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abbaad, and Abbaad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the, the father of, of Jacob. <sighs> and you're like, really? This is the way you start off the New Testament? I mean, shouldn't you have like a little bit of a hook to try to get people to want to read this thing? I mean, after the first 17 verses, you're like closing it up and saying, I'm not going to read the rest of it if this is what this is all about. Why would you start with such a boring start? <laughs> I like John Grisham novels. And one thing I like about a Grisham novel is right away, he just grabs you as a reader and you just want to read all the way to the end very quickly. And right away, it's just bam, there's action and there's things going on. And you get to Matthew 1, you're like, really? Seriously? A genealogy? Well, Look at verse 1 of Matthew 1, first verse of the New Testament. Matthew writes this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Now, the author of this gospel is Matthew, who was one of the disciples who followed Jesus when he was on this earth. And important to note, he is writing to a Jewish audience. A Jewish audience. A Jewish audience who had known that for for centuries there had been prophecies about a coming Messiah, a, a leader who would come, who would rule and reign over them. They were hopeful for this coming Messiah to come and to to break them away from the oppressive Roman government. And they were looking forward to this this one who'd been prophesied. And the prophecies said that the Messiah would come in the line and lineage of Abraham and David. So he starts off with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Matthew ends this genealogy basically in verse 16 when he says this, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Who is called Christ. Now you see, this isn't just a list of of names, but it is Matthew proving that the promised Messiah, the Christ, that Jesus has the right pedigree, has the proper lineage as he is born in the line and lineage of Abraham and of David. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He's the real deal. The Jewish people who would have read Matthew chapter 1 would not have been bored. They would have been looking at it carefully. Check, 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 check. It fits. And then he says at the end of verse 16 that he is the Christ. The Christ. Why is that significant? In in the Greek, uh, you you find that word is translated Christos. Or in the Hebrew, it's translated Messiah. The Messiah. the, The promised one. The anointed one of God. Anointed by God to do what? To save the world. To save the world. Now, let's leap over our verse, verse 21 that we looked at previously and go to verse 22 and look on what's on the other side of this. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in verse 16, the end of the genealogy, he's called Christ, but now he's called Emmanuel. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Think of that description for a moment. God with us. God among us. Wow. <laughs> only three times in the Bible when the word Emmanuel, that title is given, twice in the book of Isaiah, in prophecy, and then once in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1. What does this tell us about Jesus? According to Matthew, according to the Bible, it tells us that Jesus is God himself. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one who came to save the world. And he is the Emmanuel, God himself, with us. 
Eugene Peterson in the message communicates this truth by translating John chapter 1 verse 14 and talking about Jesus by saying this. The word, meaning Jesus, the word became flesh and blood. He became a human and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that good? He is God with us. He moved into the neighborhood. He became flesh and blood. He became a person. These are amazing bookends to what we're going to look at in verse 21, that he's the Christ, the, the, the Messiah, the, the anointed one to save the world, and he is Emmanuel, God with us. That's who he is. And then we're going to look at what Jesus does. And so I want to give us the, the context to this story that is very familiar to us, and then we'll read it in just a little bit. Matthew chapter 1 is the perspective of the Christmas story from Joseph's point of view. Luke has it from the perspective of Mary. Uh, Mark and John Gospels, they don't even do the Christmas story. So this is Joseph's perspective. Mary and Joseph are engaged. We, we see in some translations the term is betrothed, which was a form of, of a contract, if you would, that was basically so binding you would have to have a divorce settlement to get out of it, even though it was a period of engagement. That's what it was like in, in that culture. It was a time of chastity. It was a time of preparation. And in the midst of this time of betrothal, we find out that Mary is pregnant. Mary's pregnant. Joseph finds out that she's pregnant. This is not good news to him. <laughs> it says that they had no relations together sexually. So obviously, what is he going to assume? That she's been involved with somebody else. And when you're engaged to somebody and you want to spend the rest of your life with them, this is like one of the worst news you could possibly get. That she's going to have a baby, but it's not your baby. What do you do with that? It tells us also that Joseph is a just man or a godly young man. He's the kind of young man that Jane and I would love our daughters to marry. He's that kind of a guy. And because he's such a just man, a godly man, it says that he wants to do this, uh, getting rid of this relationship quietly, respectfully. He doesn't want to shame Mary in the process. He just wants this problem to kind of go away quietly. And, and so he works on doing that, it appears, behind the scenes. And in the midst of this turmoil that he is in, an angel comes to him when he's sleeping and lets him know what's really going on behind the scenes. That would be extremely helpful. I mean, can you imagine when, when he puts his head on the pillow that night, he's thinking through all of the ramifications. I would have to go into marriage with a woman who's been unfaithful to me during this time of betrothal. I have to have a baby that's not mine. We don't even want to have a baby right away. All of the shame that's going to come with this, all of the, the accusations are going to be flung. People are going to think that I'm the one who, who got her pregnant. And all these things, when he puts his head to the pillow, he's in turmoil. And then that night, the angel comes to him and tells him the real scoop. What's interesting, when you look at the Gospel of Luke, the angel also does the same to Mary. He, he does both sides of the equation because both of them need to know what's going on. And he tells her, we find, we find out in Luke that that's the angel Gabriel. So probably it's the angel Gabriel also here in Matthew chapter 1. So let's read the story that's so familiar, beginning in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Yeah. That's quite a message. The angel's message to Joseph, he says to him, first of all, don't be afraid to marry Mary. Hmm. Don't be afraid to marry her. Why would the angel tell him that? Because he was afraid to marry her. Wouldn't you be? We already talked about that. He says, don't be afraid to marry Mary. He says to him, Mary has done nothing wrong. She's not slept with anybody else. This baby that is inside of her, it's an act of God. The Holy Spirit placed this baby inside of her. You say, well, how does that happen? God's the creator of life. He can do that. He says to to him, you're going to have a boy. It's the first sonogram. (laughs) (laughs) Told him in advance. We We had four children Megan, Aubrey, Noel, and Caleb. We uh, chose, Jane uh, in particular said, well, there's only so many secrets in life, um, and so this is special. I don't want to know until the baby comes out if it's a boy or a girl. So we never found out. And after, you know, kid number one, girl comes out, girl number, uh, baby number two, girl comes out, baby number three, girl comes out, and then we're done. We're done having kids. We're, we're fine. We give away all our baby stuff. And Caleb shows up. And, uh, but by the fourth kid, you don't need stuff. You just put them wherever, right? It's, 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 how, it's how it goes. <laughs> but, but people would walk up to Jane, and they would, they would say, so are you having a boy or a girl? And she'd say, uh, we don't know. We chose not to know. And then you would get this. And if you've been pregnant, you've probably gotten this before. They, they would size her up and look at her. And say, well, by the way, you're, you know, by the way, it's lower or higher or rounder or whatever they were thinking. Um, I can tell that it's, it's a boy or I can tell that it's a girl. And people literally would say to us, and I'm never wrong. <laughs> they would say that. Sometimes people would say that and one said a boy and one said a girl. I am never wrong. <laughs> but here's the first sonogram. You are going to have a boy. And you are going to name him. Jesus. You are going to name him Jesus. He gives them the name that you were to name him Jesus. Why were they not allowed to pick out their own name? Well, there's a purpose behind that. In the Hebrew, the word Jesus is the word Yahshua. The English word is Joshua. In fact, two of our band members this morning are Joshua. Why Yahshua? Why that word? Because it means one who saves. One who saves. There was every reason to call him Jesus because of what he was going to do. Remember what the angel said to Joseph. He said, for he, 
will save his people from their sins. He's coming to save. Saved from their sins. Not from the oppressive Roman government, which was definitely a difficult thing for them to handle, but from their sins. They often had the wrong idea of who the Messiah would be. They thought he'd be the one to conquer the government, but instead he was going to be one to conquer their sin. He's going to come and save them from their sin. Myself, I've, I've never been saved. You say, what? I mean, like, in great danger. I've never been saved. The, the, the best story that I can come up with in my life is when I was in high school, I went on a catamaran with uh, the, my youth pastor of the church I attended down in Southern California, and he took me out, just he and I, on this catamaran, and we went out of the Long Beach Harbor, and we, and we sailed in a beautiful day with great wind, and went all the way down to Balboa Island, and went around the island, and sailed back out to, to sea, and when we got out to sea, it was different in the afternoon than it was in the morning. It was much choppier, and, and at times, uh, waves w- would literally were hitting us, not huge waves, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but enough big enough that we were getting wet, and one of the waves actually hit the jib sail, the front sail. There's a bigger sail in the back, smaller sail in the front, hit the jib sail and broke it, and it came down. So all we had was the big sail in, in the back. And, and so as we were going and these, these waves are hitting us, I'm, I'm soaking wet and I'm shaking because I'm getting so cold, and I'm singing hymns. Um, I'm singing hymns because all I can think to do, and my prayer life was improving by, by the moment, and... <laughs> And yet, I never thought we were going to die because the shore wasn't really all that far away. We could have swam in, and I think we would have been okay. But certainly, it was not a very fun experience. And then we finally, way past the time when we were supposed to, we got into the Long Beach Harbor. And when we got into Long Beach Harbor, there was no wind at all, like zero wind. And we literally began to back out into sea and a little Coast Guard, you know, boat, not one of the big ships, but a Coast Guard boat, saw us, and here's the big rescue, reached out a pole <laughs> and, and drug us to where we needed to go. That's the best story I can come up with of being saved in, 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 my, in my life. Um, I've never been, like, on a, on a mountain peak where they had to send out rescuers. Quite honestly, I'm not adventuresome enough to need to be saved, <laughs> I, 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 I like nice hotels, all right? And uh, it's amazing, Mark, that I lead a, a camp, right? And, uh, and I, I've never been in a foreign prison, you know, just none of that. I, I just kind of play it safe enough to make sure I'm okay. And that's how a lot of people do their spiritual life. They play it safe enough. They make sure that they're not really bad so that, you know, God will accept them, that they'll be good enough to do the place safe. They don't do the, 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 the big sins of 2017. You say, what are the big sins of 2017? Well, you, you know, sexual harassment, right? Hmm? Racism? Shooting people indiscriminately? I mean, those, those are the big sins now. So... Well, just be, be safe and 
Not, not do the big sins and we'll be okay before God. A number of years ago, uh, Jane and I would take college students down to the Los Angeles Mission when I was a pastor of college-age students when I was in seminary. We would go down there and we would do a, a church service for them and they would bring people in from the streets to feed them. But in the middle of the area where they had church service, in the middle section on both sides, were guys who were in the program, which meant they lived there, they worked there. These are guys who had come off the streets for all sorts of reasons, and they had given their life to Christ, and they were now like newly followers of him, and they were alive, and they were vibrant, and they were filled with passion, and they would share their stories, and they would cry, and they'd talk about what Jesus did for them, and how he got them off the streets and put them on a new path, and they had been great sinners, and then they'd been saved by a great Savior, and then you would leave that, and then you know, on the weekend you would go to the suburban church, and that passion and fervency just wasn't there because they were all fine. They were just fine. Most people don't think they need to be saved. Look at this. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. John wrote in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. All have sinned, all fall short, all are lost, all need to be saved. Me, you, all. But here's a scoop all it takes is one sin a little tiny sin, really big sin, medium sin. All it takes is one sin to separate us from a holy God. Let me try to make this understandable because it has everything to do with Christmas. You see, God is holy without sin. And because of that, sin separates us from a holy God. Little sin, medium sin, big sin, it doesn't matter. Any sin separates us from a holy God. One cannot be good enough to get into heaven. No matter how many good works you do, it doesn't really matter because all it takes is one sin. And all of us have sinned to fall short and be separated from a holy God. Therefore, we are, some would say, lost in our sin and need to be found, need to be saved. Therefore, God, out of his great love for us, sent his son, Jesus, to save us from our sins, so that we can have a right relationship with him. The most important verse maybe that people go to on a regular basis is John 3, 16, right? For God so what? Loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. They would not perish but have eternal life. Out of God's love, he sent his only son to die so we might have life, so that we might be saved. 
to be saved from the plight of separation from God, to be saved from the, the plight of spending eternity away from God in a place called hell. A lot of people don't like to talk about hell. A lot of people don't believe in hell. They only believe in heaven. The only problem with that is both heaven and hell come from the same book. And out of God's incredible love for us, he sends us a Savior so that we can spend an eternity with him in heaven. Listen to what others say about Jesus. John the Baptist said about him, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle Peter, who was one of the disciples with Jesus, in talking about him in Acts chapter 4 said, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Apostle Paul, who rejected the idea of, of Jesus being, being the Messiah, who tried to destroy Christianity, finally had an encounter with Jesus and gives his life to him. He says this about Jesus. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And listen to what Jesus says about himself. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Remember what the angel said to Joseph. And she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus is the one and only. There's only one like him. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. He is God with us, Emmanuel. He's the one and only, and he's the only one. Only through him can one have the forgiveness of sins. Only through him can one be made right with the holy God. I love Christmas. I always have. My mom made Christmas very special for us growing up. December, our house would be decorated. There'd be Christmas music. She'd make Christmas cookies. And throughout December, she would bring out presents little by little that were wrapped, always looking the same every year. White paper, red bow. Every year, white paper, red bow. No names on the packages. And so we would look at the packages throughout December, and I wonder, ah, I asked for this. I wonder if it could be in that box, kind of the right shape. And, and on Christmas Eve night, we had a very special night. I loved Christmas Eve. In fact, in many ways, I loved it more than Christmas morning when we'd open presents. My mom would always make a, a meal, often a brand-new meal she'd never made before. Some of those were memorable. But uh, anyway, <laughs> she would even admit to that. And... Uh, and then we would go out and we would be by the Christmas tree and she allowed us to bring three packages without names on them, packages that during the month we've been thinking maybe that one's mine, maybe that one's mine, maybe that one's mine. And we would bring them to her and, and see if they were ours. And then she would take it and turn upside down. There's a little number at the bottom and she had a little chart and she would see <laughs> if it was. And if it was, you know, if I brought it and it was mine, she would write Mike on the box. I'm like, all right. 
but you couldn't open it till the next morning. So all night long, you're like, wonder what's in that box. I think it's the one that I was hoping for, that particular present. And, uh, and then uh, the last thing we would do before we go to bed is my dad would read us two stories. He would read us, "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And then, and then he would read the Christmas story from the Bible, and we'd go to bed. Loved it. <laughs> Janie and I got married right around Christmas time. The, the, the church was filled with beautiful poinsettias and, and, and lights, and, and, and the bridesmaids were in green velvet dresses. It was, it was beautiful. We love Christmas music. We're the kind of family that, that starts Christmas music like before Thanksgiving. And, and we're the, the family that the day after Thanksgiving, we are decorating the house inside and out. We just love it. We lived in Colorado for 14 years before moving here a few years ago. And our, our neighborhood was uh, enchanting on Christmas Eve. You know, people had their Christmas lights on their houses. Often there was snow on the ground. And then um, on almost every house in the neighborhood, there were luminaries, those, those white bags with sand in the bottom and a little candle, and people would light them and line their driveways and their sidewalks, and you drive through or walk through this, this enchanting Norman Rockwell-type picture of, of Christmas. Loved it. But my very favorite part of Christmas, bar none, is Christmas morning with just us as a family. Now, I know the answer is supposed to be my favorite is Jesus. Jesus. I know. But really, honestly, my favorite part of the Christmas time is Christmas morning with just the family. With Jane and, and Megan, our oldest, and her husband, Eric, with, with Aubrey, with Noel, with Caleb, as we just love on each other and give each other presents and hug each other and thanks. Jane always makes these wonderful cinnamon rolls and hot chocolate and we just, for several hours, we just enjoy that time together. I love that. It's about the family and a relationship. Now listen carefully, please. Jesus came so that we could have a right relationship with God the Father so that we would not be separated from him for all eternity, so that we could be with him in heaven forever, so that we could be part of the family of God for all of eternity in heaven. God the Father sent his son to die on our behalf, to take away the penalty of our sin, to forgive us of that sin, so that we can have a family relationship for eternity together with a holy God. Amen is right. This is not about a religion. It's about a relationship. God Almighty initiating that relationship so that we might be together with him forever. That's why Jesus came. To save us from our sins, to make us right with God. Let me finish the story. Verse 24. <clears throat> when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus.
one who saves. I don't know where you are in the journey of spiritual things in your own life. Maybe you're just trying to figure all of this out and figure out who Jesus is. Maybe you absolutely, totally disagree with almost everything that I said today. Or maybe you have embraced Jesus long, long ago. But know this. God loves you. He wants a personal relationship with you. So much so that he sent his only son to take care of what separated us from him. And Jesus on that cross took on our sin. And all we have to do is receive the gift of that forgiveness. And we have eternal life. He's the one and only. The only one. And I want to give you the opportunity today, if you have never before, ask Jesus to be the one who saves you. To do that. It's acknowledging that he is indeed God and, and admitting that you are indeed a sinner and asking him to forgive you of your sin and inviting him into your life. It's a gift from God that cannot be earned or deserved. It's through the love of God as a gift to us. So I ask you to bow with me right now in, in prayer and just make this time between you and God. And if you've never prayed a prayer of asking the Lord Jesus to come into your life and to make you right with the Holy God, I invite you to just to pray this prayer. I'll say the words, but you make it from your heart. Dear Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus, the one who saves, to save me. And I admit I am a sinner. And I'm in need of a Savior. And so please forgive me of my sin. And wash me clean. And make me new. And it will be my joy to serve you the rest of my days on this earth. And my greater joy to live with you forever in heaven for all of eternity. Oh Lord, my guess is that's your favorite prayer to hear. The people who call upon your son to give them new life in you. Lord, thank you for the gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus one who came to save. And Lord, we say to you, Merry Christmas. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.